This morning we're looking at the, uh, really the second part of one sermon. We began this uh, sermon last Lord's Day uh, in John, uh, Luke chapter 3 verses 1 through 14 as we're looking at the ministry of John the Baptist. And uh, if you will look at your home group helps insert, it'll be of assistance to you as we continue uh, this marvelous passage, uh, which is really a setup for the ministry of Jesus Christ. In fulfillment of Old Testament prophecy, John the Baptist was to prepare the people to come to the Lord. And, uh, and he did that by pointing out their need of repentance. But last week, as we looked at this passage, we looked at verses 1 through 6. We saw the period of John's ministry and the place of John's ministry. Uh, and it was a difficult time. All of the men mentioned in terms of the period of the ministry where John and Jesus uh, uh, ministered, they were corrupt, violent. Uh, they were really, in many ways, wicked, wicked men that were in charge, which just puts a, a, a damper on everything. There was just a, 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 not the kind of times that you want to be living in. He's ministering out there uh, in the Jesus, uh, in, in the Jesus. <laughs> He's ministering about Jesus in the desert. Uh, and, of course, we also saw something of a summary of his ministry and fulfillment of Isaiah uh, preparing a people for the way. So all this preparation, the, uh, the, the, the leveling of the mountains and the filling of the valleys and all that, that's symbolic of this. Repent. Repent. You don't want to miss the coming of Messiah. He's been promised all the way since Genesis chapter 3. But if you are consumed with self, consumed with sin... Only concerned about the things about your own little world and you are not interested nor fearful of the Lord and his return, then you need to repent to prepare your hearts to receive the Lord Jesus Christ. So we're going to pick up on this passage here beginning in verse 7 uh, and continue with this principle of the ministry of John the Baptist. Looking at some specific areas also uh, that we uh, need to repent from. Let's go to the Lord in prayer. Father, we do turn to you. We thank you so much for for your holy word, Lord, as we read this text and and uh, Luke just makes it so clear that this is an accurate historical text. These people, these rulers really lived. John the Baptist really ministered. Jesus Christ really rose from the dead. And then these words that we say are, are really representative of the words and the exact words that John the Baptist spoke to people. And, and, and they're shocking because he just seems to be. So blunt, so direct, but a people hardened by sin need that bluntness. They need that directness. He is no ear tickler. So I pray, Lord God, through the power of the Holy Spirit, that you would be blunt with us this morning. You would be direct with us this morning. Help us not to hide away our sins, but let us be open and bare before you. Because we want more of Jesus. And we won't see him if we ourselves do not repent. We pray this in Christ's name. Amen. Again, we're going to be picking up here with verse 7. If you want to see the, the previous uh, sermon to help uh, you kind of uh, know the background for this particular one, you can pick that up on the video on our, on, our, um, on our Internet site. You pick on the video. If you see Brad Pitt and the pastor has a voice of Morgan Freeman, that's not our church. <laughs> you know. You see Santa Claus, and he sounds like SpongeBob, SpongeBob SquarePants. That's, our, that's the sermon you're looking for. Let's pick up here with verse, uh, proclaiming the need for repentance, verses uh, 7 through 9. And I will read the, that text here. And he said, therefore, 
to the crowds that came out to be baptized by him, you brood of vipers. Again, John ain't seeker sensitive, right? You brood of vipers who warned you to flee from the wrath to come. Bear fruits in keeping with repentance and do not begin to say to yourselves, we have Abraham as our father. For I tell you, God is able from these stones to raise up children from Abraham. Even now, the axe is laid at the root of the trees. Every tree, therefore, that does not bear good fruit is cut down and thrown into the fire. So we see here the people coming out to be baptized. And again, this is a principle that would be very strange to Jews. And most of these people would have been Jews. Baptism at that time was reserved only for Gentiles. Jews grew up hating Gentiles. They despised them. They took this doctrine of election that they were the chosen race of God and they turned it into a special club and they looked down on everybody else. They truly were, in a sense, the frozen chosen uh, as a tribe of people. And they despised the Gentiles. So when a Gentile showed interest in worshiping Yahweh and was willing to be circumcised, was willing to live by the law of Moses, was willing, in a sense, to become a Jew spiritually, that wasn't enough. They also got to get a good bath. <laughs> and that was their perspective. If you Gentiles really want to be a Jew, you got to prove this by getting clean because you're filthy and we don't like you. I mean, that's really what it was. So John the Baptist says this. That's now, so now the principle for Jews. Everybody has to repent. So they're coming out. Uh, he is there, of course, as a, a, in fulfillment of uh, many Old Testament uh, prophecies. But after 400 years of silence, John the Baptist shows up on the banks of the Jordan River in the middle of the desert, 22 miles away from Jerusalem, and says, repent, repent. And then uh, they are to recognize their need of repentance, and they're to come and receive this baptism. Uh, and, and that emphasize that repentance is something that's important, because one of the things that's happening, in order to fill seats, we don't emphasize the need for repentance. In, in order, to, in order to, uh, to be more popular, we, we kind of leave that awkward subject away. And you'll, you see this sometimes. You'll talk to someone who appears to be a Christian. You start talking about the Lord and some of the things. And then you kind of keep on with that conversation. And then you, you, these, these strange ideas start coming up. Uh, one of the big ones is prosperity theology. God wants you to be wealthy. If you are not well and wealthy, that's a sign that somehow you're a sinner. And, and uh, God wants to bless you with, lo with lots of riches and things like that. Or liberation theology. Uh, you see that uh, the idea that uh, life is the exodus and and we're going to we're going to free uh, be free from oppression. And that's sort of the end goal, as opposed to the goal of being sanctified and, and saved and looking forward to heaven. Uh, or you have this whole just kind of a. A, 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 a business model that's trying to create kind of a new corporation in the church. And you and you lose some of these things. Listen, John the Baptist had none of that. Jesus had none of that. He is pointing that little gnarly finger of his wearing camel clothing, eating desert food and saying, repent, repent. And guess what? They were in a lot of ways. Riken summarizes this point. There is no forgiveness without repentance. The act of repentance does not have the power to uh, take away our sin. Forgiveness only comes through Christ and his cross. But unless we repent, we will never be forgiven because only people who are sorry for their sins will ever admit that they need a savior. That could not be more true, folks. And this is the reason why you don't want to dismiss 
the Lord quickening your heart about your sins. That's one of the ways you know he is preparing you for salvation is to call to mind your sins, the grief that you feel about it, the discomfort you feel about your, your own mortality and that sort of thing. So sometimes we will end up trying to ignore those kind of things, but they're actually clear messages from the Lord that he's trying to bring us closer to himself. And he goes out and he points out a group of them come up to him and he says, you brood of vipers who warned you to flee from the wrath to come. How would you like for me to start off our call of worship with that one? You brood of, I'm not exactly sure all of what that means, but it ain't a compliment. You know, it wasn't like you wonderful hamsters. You're so cute. You know, oh, you dachshunds. We're so glad to have you. You brood of vipers. All right. So, uh, so basically, and, and what he's doing here is he's testing them, isn't he? They're coming to him. John was popular. John, everybody was coming to go, let's go see John the best. Let's go check out this guy. Who is this guy? It's, a, it's another prophet. Come back after all these years of sun. He was popular. So a lot of people, the door was wide at this point in time. And a lot of people were coming out there to check out John. And he's testing them. If they really want repentance, if they really want God, they won't be put off by this brood of viper thing. We do get a little bit more insight from Matthew, and that's one of the wonderful things about the gospel accounts. So you can get a parallel, uh, you can read them next to each other in a, in a parallel uh, gospel account here. And we see from Matthew chapter 3, but when we saw, he saw many of the Pharisees and Sadducees coming for baptism, he said to them, you brood of vipers who warned you to flee from the wrath to come. So he's actually, he's reserved this rebuke probably for the religious people. The religious people. It's the moral people that are actually harder sometimes to reach than the immoral people. And we have to be careful of this ourselves. We get that same kind of attitude the Jews often had. We think ourselves as being better than everybody else. The fact is we're all sinners and we all need a savior. And he's testing them in a sense of this. So remember, John is a prophet. So he has a prophet insight into human nature. So he can see through people's actions and, and their motives. And he's wise in, in that way. So he's basically looking at these Pharisees and these Sadducees. Now, again, the Pharisees were the kind of the, the middle class, nationalistic, pro-Bible folks. Frankly, you know, we, Pharisees rightly so in some ways get a bad rap, right? But... Some of us would probably would have been Pharisees. They're, they're, they're probably closest to us than any other group at the time. The Sadducees, they were the priestly class. They only believed in the first five books of the Bible. They didn't believe in resurrection, didn't believe in, in angels. But they had all the concession stands at the temple. They were wealthy. So they're coming out here, and they're coming out probably in all of their pharisaical guards and all of their priestly garments so that they're saying, look, oh, here come the Pharisees and the Sadducees. And you can sort of see the common people dressed in gray linen kind of getting out of their way. You know, we got to, oh, these special people are coming to see John the Baptist. Let's see what he says to them. Boy, he's really going to be nice to them because he wants their uh, approval. You brood of vipers. Can you imagine how shocked the Pharisees and the Sadducees were? They're used to people standing when they walk into a room, giving them the best seats at the table, uh, showing them respectful greetings in the marketplace, giving them a discount when they buy things. They're used to being taken care of and being admired, you know. They were the reverends at the time. John the Baptist ain't going to have none of it. <laughs> you brood of vipers. So, he, uh, uh, and this is, a, again, this is something that Jesus himself says. If you think John is being especially harsh, 
when he says the brood of vipers, uh, we also know that, that came, those kinds of terms came from Jesus. Matthew 12, Jesus says, you serpents, you brood of vipers, uh, how are you going to escape being sentenced to hell? So they basically, they were like a den of snakes trying to get out of a, bur a, a brush pile. We had a, we had a brush pile fire uh, at uh, Ed Cothran's house maybe 14 years ago in his backyard. Uh, Ed has gone on to be with the Lord now, but he had a big brush pile back there, and we, we wanted to have a bonfire, and we lit a bonfire, and all of a sudden from the bonfire come all these little Pharisee satchels, no, all these little snakes, just kind of squealing away. You know, it's a fire. Get out of here. And that's what they, they've seen this. They understand this principle. Snakes like hiding under brush piles. You catch the brush pile on fire. The snakes flee. Who warns you, brood of vipers, to flee from the wrath to come? It's a pretty big test. Well, some of them passed it. Some of them didn't. But basically, he's looking at their heart. He's, all right, what, is this a political move? Is this just point of curiosity? Or do you really, really want to know the Lord? They wanted forgiveness without repentance. They wanted to avoid hell without serving heaven. They wanted to instruct others about God while rejecting his only son. And this same crowd, probably from some of these same people, were the ones who condemned Jesus in the Sanhedrin. This is, in a sense, a fulfillment of what Jeremiah says. You, God, you are near to their lips, but far from their mind. You know, it's almost more difficult for some of the entrenched religious people to get saved than it is for the tax collectors and the prostitutes and the rest of the folks that are out there because they've been inoculated against this, this uh, idea of repentance. He says, bear fruits in keeping repentance. So he gives them a solution. Okay? You want to quit being a viper? Bear fruit. In keeping with repentance. Jesus really emphasizes this again in his uh, teaching. How we can determine the genuineness of someone's repentance. This is one reason why, you know, if we have a profession of faith, we're a little slow to say that person became a Christian. We might say they made a profession of faith. Let's see how this turns out. Was it just an emotional thing? Or are, are they really on the road? Uh, have they really gained salvation? But Jesus says this in Matthew chapter 7. Enter by the narrow gate. For the gate is wide and the way is easy that leads to destruction. And those who enter it are many. That's the way of the world. For the gate is narrow and the way is hard that leads to life. And those who find it are few. Beware the false prophets who come to you in sheep's clothing, but inwardly are ravenous wolves. You will recognize them by their fruits. Are grapes gathered from thorn bushes or figs from thistles? So every healthy tree bears good fruit, but the diseased tree bears fruit, bad fruit. A healthy tree cannot bear bad fruit, nor can a diseased tree bear good fruit. Every tree that does not bear fruit is cut down and thrown into the fire. Thus you will recognize them by their fruits. You examine someone's lifestyle. Does their claim to be a follower of Christ meet their lifestyle in terms of their claim? Now... If you're looking for a perfect person, please don't start with this church. We're all flawed. We're all sinners. But the trajectory is towards seeking to please the Lord and bearing fruit uh, in righteousness. And he says here, and it's interesting, <clears throat> um, uh, he comes up with this example of the pitfall that so many of the Jews have come into. He says, do not begin to yourselves, say to yourselves, we have Abraham as our father. He's hitting 
front on their mistaken notion that just because they have the DNA of Abraham in their body, they are naturally saved. It's again, this is a perverting of the doctrine of election. And, and, and he says this, they don't say it. He says it because he knows this is what they're thinking. We don't need to repent. We're Jewish. We don't need to repent. We're Jewish. We don't need to repent. We're Southern. <laughs> you, know, you fill in the blank, right? But it's a perversion of the doctrine of election here. Uh, and basically what he's saying is that, is that uh, uh, God can create a children of Abraham however he wants to create children. And that actually means nothing. You are not saved automatically because of who your daddy and your granddaddy was. In Luke's account of Acts, uh, God makes it clear that he can take rock hard Gentile hearts and turn them into soft hearts that will worship him. He even says here that God is able to raise up stones to Abraham. Listen, God made Adam out of clay. He can make, he can make church members out of stones if he wants to. Paul says to the Galatian converts who were mostly Gentile, just as Abraham believed God and it was reckoned to him as righteousness, know then that those who are in faith are sons of Abraham. And the scripture foreseeing that God would justify the Gentiles by faith, preached the gospel beforehand to Abraham saying, in you all the nations will be blessed. So then, and this is important folks, those who are of the faith are blessed along with Abraham the man of faith. So many of these Jews died and went to hell. And the Gentiles that they despised were actually end up being the true children of Abraham. Christians are children of Abraham. And indeed, he, he kind of, it's this sort of fulfillment of prophecy. God really did raise up children of Abraham to Abraham out of stones instead of uh, from the Jews because they rejected him. Now, let me just talk to you all the children of the church for a minute. You've got to come to a point in time, and I don't know when that's going to be. The Lord will, will bring that to you, but it's, you've got to come to a point in time when Jesus becomes your own. No one gets to heaven because their daddy was a Christian, or their mama was a Christian, or their grandmother was a, a Christian, or their grandfather was a pastor. You've got to be able to own Jesus Christ. So we, you are in here. Uh, you're here in this service. You have responsibility to listen to the Word of God and to respond to the Word of God, to repent and do the things that are keeping with godliness. You, you're not, you're not going to be saved because you got baptized. You're not going to be saved because your daddy and your mama have brought you to church today. You need to own Jesus himself. And what you would find is, Lord willing, you'll have a testimony like Addison Barton. And you just grew up loving Jesus. That's just kind of the way. That was normal for you. That's our hope for every one of you. That's our hope for every one of you. But it's going to take some effort on your part. You cannot assume everything's going to be just fine just because you go to this church or because your mom and daddy are Christians. Absalom's father was David, right? So work at listening to sermons. Work at understanding Scripture. Work uh, in terms of getting to know God better and better and better. One commentator says this, so when John invited his fellow Jews to go back into the wilderness to be baptized, he was saying that it was not enough for them to be Jewish. Simply belonging to Israel did not make them right with God. They too were unclean and their sins needed to be washed away. They needed to come to God in dependent faith and receive baptism of repentance for the forgiveness of sins. And I think that's one reason why baptism was chosen, because it was such an insult to a Jew 
that they would actually be baptized like one of these filthy Gentiles. And I think God said, okay, John, we're going to use that insult as a test to see who's really serious about coming into the kingdom of God or who's just assuming that they're going to be there because of who their granddaddy was. He goes on to provide that more warning. Even now, the axe is laid to the root of the trees. Every tree, therefore, that does not bear good fruit is cut down and thrown into the fire. There's an urgency to repentance. I can't tell you how many times I've shared the gospel with people, and, and they, they, very rarely do they say, no, that's just a bunch of hogwash. They, 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 you can kind of see them kind of getting that. I think that you're tapping into some guilt and some shame that they've had before about not going to church, not believing in God, because people know intuitively there's something out there. There's going to be an accountability. They're afraid of death or whatever it might be. But so often, even if they're, they're kind of awakening a little bit, they'll tell you this, yeah, I'll do that one day. Especially if someone young, someone's young. Yeah, when I get married and have kids, we'll go to church. You know, we'll have a little house with a picket fence. And we'll have a collie. Uh, and, we'll have, uh, and, we'll, and we'll have two cars in the garage. And then we'll go to church like all the nice, nice people do. You know, you may not get the opportunity. That may not work out for you. You never know when the Lord is, uh, might call you to himself. And besides, what you're basically saying to God, when I'm done getting drunk and fornicating and doing whatever I want to do and sleep in on Sunday morning, then I'll find time for you. Luke says this in chapter 12, uh, quoting Jesus. And he said to them, take care, be on your guard against all covetousness, for one's life does not consist in the abundance of his possessions. And he told them a parable saying, a land of a, the land of a rich man produced plentifully. And he thought to himself, what shall I do? For I have nowhere to store my crops. And he said, I will do this. I will tear down my barns and build larger ones. And then I will store my grain and my goods. And I will say to my soul, soul, you have ample goods laid up for many years. Relax, eat, drink, and be merry. But God said to him, fool, this night your soul is required of you. And the things you have prepared, whose will they be? So it is when one who lays up treasure for himself and is not rich towards God. There's an urgency to repentance. If you're not a Christian, you need to pray out for God's mercy today at the end of this service. You don't want to put this off anymore. I've told this story before, but I had a cousin who was one of these child geniuses, the, 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 uh, the savage side, my middle name is Savage, the savage side of the family are all geniuses, and, 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 and some of them are a little different. <laughs> and uh, and uh, this young man, uh, I think he went to college when he was 14 or 15. He finished med school, I think, when he was 22, something like that. And he was a great guy. He was a great guy. The day he graduated from med school, they were on a boat in Charleston Harbor. They hit a barge. He went off and died the day he finished med school and i used to carry the 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 newspaper clip of my cousin's death as i would share go around the university of south carolina and share the gospel with people and they would tell me yeah one day one day when i'm kind of done doing everything i want to do i'll come to the lord and i'd hear that i'd show that article and i'd say he thought the same thing and he was a great guy i mean and he, he finished med school at 20. He had his future before him in an instant. It was over with. That's fear mongering. Okay. Be afraid. If you're not a Christian, you need to be afraid. 
You need to be afraid. You need to repent. This is what John the Baptist's message was to all these people. It's interesting. Um, <clears throat> what does this look like? Well, there's a great illustration. The sons of Shiva botched an exorcism in Acts chapter 19. And uh, they're, they're trying to exorcise this demon. And the, the man turns around and says, I, I don't know. I know who Jesus is. I don't know who you are. And, and starts beating them up. And they all run out. Uh, and Luke ad, adds naked and bruised. And, uh, uh, and, but then you see this amazing work of the Holy Spirit uh, here in Acts chapter 19. And uh, Dr. Luke writes this. In his sequel, uh, as many of you, as many of those who are now believers came confessing and divulging their practices as they're repenting from their sins and they're confessing. And a number of those who had practiced magic arts bought their books together and burned them in the sight of all. And they counted the value of them and found it to be 50,000 pieces of silver. So the word of the Lord continued to increase and prevail moderate, uh, uh, prevailed mightily. Now, we're not endorsing book burning. The point of this is that that was evidence. They had been in the occult. They had been worshiping spirits. They saw what a spirit could do. They came back and he said, we want Jesus. And they took their old lifestyle and they publicly burned it in front of everybody else. And they said, we're now Christians. Tell us what to do. That's what it looks like. That's what it looks like. So what shift needs to be made here through the power of the Holy Spirit? Well, that's an example from Acts 19, but he keeps on going here, bear, uh, emphasizing bearing fruit that looks like repentance. And he, do, and he says here with this emphasis that the tree is being cut down and thrown into the fire, he wants people to be a little bit of afraid of the coming judgment. Look, they know it's coming anyway. There's this unsettled peace with people who don't know the Lord, who know their sins are going to be... Uh, they're going to be held accountable for them. Jesus says this in Matthew 18. If your hand or your foot causes you to stumble, cut it from you. Of course, he's using figurative language. And throw it from you. It's better for you to enter life crippled or lame. Get rid of your magic books. Turn around. Uh, then, it, then to have two hands and feet and be cast into eternal fire. Jesus taught the principle of eternal judgment, eternal hell. Matthew 25. And then... And, and to those, he says on the left, depart from the accursed ones into the eternal fire, which has been prepared for the devil and his angels. Revelation 20. Then death and Hades were thrown into the lake of fire. This is the second death, the lake of fire. If anyone's name was not found written in the book of life, he was thrown into the lake of fire. That's not where you want to be. And John the Baptist is warning, folks, that is what's coming if you don't repent, if you don't accept the Savior who's coming. The, he wasn't leading. The people weren't getting saved there. In a sense, they were being prepared for salvation. And it's, and it's sad too. The, the Sadducees and the Pharisees were the leaders of the people. You, if you know your history. What happened, what happened about 35 years after this? 40 years after this. The Romans came through. And turned Jerusalem into a parking lot. They said they crucified so many Jews. That they ran out of wood. It happened. That tree got cut down. It got leveled. So there's a good reason to repent. Now we see here the paradigms of repentance. What does this look like? And uh, beginning in verse 10. And the crowds asked him, what then shall we do? They're listening. They, they're, 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 they, want, they want to put an action on this, this uh, sense of foreboding that they feel. And he answered them, whoever has two tunics is to share them with the one who has none. And whoever has food to do likewise. The tax collectors came to be baptized and said, teacher, what shall we do? And he said to them, collect no more. Than you are authorized to do. Soldiers also came. And uh, we, what shall we do? And he said to them, do not extort money from anyone. Ex uh, extort money from anyone. 
by threats or false accusations and be content with your wages. There's, he probably said, had more examples. Luke is just picking these three. But notice this. Nowhere does it say, and the Pharisees and the Sadducees says, you're right, what do we need to do? I don't know that they came to that point. But the soldiers, the despised soldiers, the tax collectors, no one was more hated than a tax collector. The common folk were saying, what do we do? What do we do? What do we do? That's so often the case. It's the people think they have so much to give up. They don't come to the Lord, but the people who are desperate for him are the ones who come to him. So it kind of gives these three examples here, and you could categorize these three examples. Uh, basically, you are to, first of all, be generous, all right? So whoever has two tunics, you share it with one and a half. One, now, you know, I don't think any of it. Actually, I have some tunics because my son makes medieval clothing. I actually do own tunics. But it, a coat, think of his coat. You see someone shivering in the cold, you're carrying around an extra coat, give it to them. Food. You know, we feed a lot of people here that can't pay us back. That's a good thing that we do. You, you share, you look for need, you're, you're being generous. You're being generous in your heart towards others. Be generous. Now, the Holy Spirit and you, in your own mind, can tell you how you do that in our culture. It's not sharing tunics. You know, you don't go out and buy a tunic so you can give one to somebody. You know, but think, how can you be generous? Because you know what generosity is? It's basically saying, I'm going to trust God to take care of this. And I got some extra stuff, let's, let's share this. I remember when I was in Kiev years ago, right after the wall fell down, we had one of our interpreters was telling me a story how she, uh, her mother had a little piece of extra meat left over, and she, they wrapped it up in paper, and she took the train to go to the other side of Kiev to share this little piece of meat with her sister. And I thought, man, in America, you'd never do it. You'd pass 15 grocery stores on the way. Why would you ever do something like that? But that, when, when they were desperate. They didn't have money. They didn't have stuff. And they, she literally took a train ride to give a piece of meat to somebody. Be generous. Uh, be honest, right? Are the tax collectors. The tax collectors were despised. They had a contract with the Roman government to collect X amount of money. So they, had to, they, had, they were required to have X amount of money to give that to the Romans. So anything they collected over that, they got to pocket themselves. So if the tax was $10, they're going to charge you $16 because they get to keep $6. What happens if you complain? Well, have you met, you know, Bruto, my tax collector collecting buddy? You know, and Bruto comes up. And, and so they extorted people. They, they threatened people. They were despised and they were wealthy. What's he saying? Be honest. Be honest. Deal with people honestly. Make sure that you're doing the right thing. And then the soldiers, what do we do? All right. Again, the soldiers, in a similar kind of way, soldiers weren't real well paid. So if they had an opportunity to threaten people, to extort people, to take money from them, they were going to take it. And they would often be in, in collusion with the tax collectors. And what's he saying there? Be content. Be content. Don't steal from somebody else. Be content with your wages. It's a living wage. It's not a great wage. But you don't, you don't better yourself by stealing from somebody else. So you got this emphasis here, uh, you know, the, on, on, on thinking through your own little selfish world and giving to others. Those are examples of the fruit of repentance in, in, in terms of a horizontal way, what we think about. <clears throat> Riken says this. Regarding all of these things, really, in terms of generosity, our budgets and bank accounts are leading indicators of our spiritual health. 
You know, this is one reason why, why tithing is so important. It gets your eyes off of yourself. It, 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 it puts you in a position of having to trust the Lord for that extra 10% that you're giving to the, to, the, to the ministry. Kent Hughes says, the truth has an immensely practical implication. If you think you are saved, but you do not have a repentant spirit, you perhaps or may not be saved at all. Well, that's the ministry of John the Baptist. I mean, he, was, he, he shot with both barrels, didn't he? He, had, he was unapologetically direct. And I, you know what? I think for the people that God was calling, they found it incredibly refreshing. They were so glad to cut through all of this cultural junk and just hear truth. I think a lot of you are that, are that way. You just want truth. You don't want to keep coddling your sin. You want to get rid of your sin. It, you're a little disappointed if you leave a church service and, and you don't feel uh, convicted and cleansed, right? You want that. You welcome truth. Well, praise God for the example of John the Baptist and his ministry. Of course, his truth-telling is going to end up costing him his life, as you know. J.C. Ryle, the great Anglican archbishop, uh, says this, It would be well for the church of Christ if possessed with more plain-speaking ministers like John the Baptist in these latter days, there is no charity in flattering unconverted people by abstaining from any mention of their vices or of applying smooth epaulets to damnable sins. Well, there's a lot of negative here. I mean, and, and I've kind of emphasized that as something of an wake-up wake up call. But boy, what you leave is important, but what you go to, the positive, is so much more glorious. Nancy and I were just talking. She was preparing for the ladies' Bible study and getting emotional thinking about it. And, uh, and we just, there's times it hits us every week. We're just dumbfounded that God would save us, that he would give us the kind of grace. I, I've been a Christian for over 40 years, and, I, and it's still just so fresh sometimes. And that love of Christ is so compelling. It just, it makes your sins look as dirty as they really are. Well, Isaiah said the same thing. 500 years before Christ. Come, everyone who thirsts, come to the waters. And he who has no money, come, buy and eat. Come, buy wine and milk without money and without price. Why do you spend money for what is not bread and your labor for what is not satisfied? Listen diligently to me and eat what is good and delight yourself in rich food. Incline your ear, come to me, hear that your soul may live and I will make you an everlasting covenant. My steadfast Sure love. Let the wicked forsake his way and the unrighteous man his thoughts. Let him return to the Lord that he may have compassion on him and to our God, for he will abundantly pardon. Your forgiveness of sins is guaranteed in Christ Jesus. And you can be done with that fear of death. You can be done with that guilt and shame. And you can be, replace all that with the love of the Lord. But you've got to repent and you've got to trust in the Lord. Father, please work in our hearts. There are some who don't know the Lord. They need to become Christians today. There are many of us who know the Lord and we've gotten stale. We've become lukewarm. We've left our first love. We have flirted so much with the, the world. We think more about her than we do about you. We thank you, God, that your promises are true. And thank you, Lord, that you love us too much uh, to let us live that way. You call us back to yourself. 
I'm just amazed by the fact of how much we have in terms of possessions and comfort and health and food and that kind of thing. And how in so many ways we Americans are so discontent, so dissatisfied. We think we're living our heaven now. And there are those in the third world that know Lord and Savior Jesus Christ who don't know where their next meal is coming and they shame us in their joy. We all need to repent, Lord. Help us to do away with those little shortcuts for pleasure that bring us woe and help us to find full and lasting pleasure in Christ Jesus our Lord. We need your help to be able to do that. We need the Holy Spirit. We need other people. Bless us now, we pray in Christ's name. Amen.